Okay, we're going to read Acts chapter 10 this morning. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa and bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier, who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet let down to the earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times and immediately the sheet was taken back to earth. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. When Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for, why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask for you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day Peter started out with them and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said, I'm only a man myself. Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call anything, any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent, I came without raising any objections. May I ask why you sent me? Cornelius answered, Three days ago I was in my house praying at this hour, at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, 
Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Sent a dropper for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the house of Simon, the tenor, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now you are here in the presence of God to listen to everything. Oh no, we are here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realise how true it is that God does not show favouritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fear him and do what is right. Hello there, everyone. Great to see you. Oh, thanks for the cheery good day there. Um, all right, so uh, Acts chapter 10, but I want to take you back 50 years to 1967, uh, and I want to point out I wasn't alive at this point, uh, so that great, that great moment wouldn't come for a couple of years, but 50 years ago in 1967, guess who's coming to dinner uh, was released in cinema. Now, who's seen this movie? Okay, so, gee, you're old lot then, aren't you? No, no, it, it has shown after, since then. I, th- I think it probably came out in black and white. Does that... I've seen it, yeah, that's true. Did it come out in black and white or was it always colour? Always colour, okay, there you go. Uh, so, uh, set in America, it's about a young couple. Uh, here they are on the screen. Uh, you know, and, you know, got a lot going for them. Um, they're in love... Wonderful in every way. The only problem is she's white and he's black. Um, And in 1967, interracial marriages were still outlawed uh, in 17 states in America. So 50 years ago, so 17 states were still illegal to have interracial marriages. Uh, My favourite character is Spencer Tracy, the dad. Uh, And all his life, he's opposed racism. Uh, He's brought up his daughter to see beyond the colour of a person's skin. But when his daughter brings a black man home and announces she's going to get married to him, uh, he has to come to terms with racism and prejudice that is is sort of deeper than he had really imagined uh, and sort of uh, below the surface. But the prejudice cuts both ways. It's not just white parents who have the problem. Uh, His parents have a problem as well. They don't want their son marrying a white girl. Um, Even the maid Tilly, the black maid, uh, she has a big problem. So next one. (coughs) Civil rights is one thing. This here is something else. Um, and, and, And here's another quote from Tilly. I don't care to see a member of my own race getting above himself. And so you can see, you can see just the entrenched racism that's just filtered through. Uh, In the end, it's a good ending, right? So the dad gets over his prejudice. Uh, He says, you're two wonderful people who happen to fall in love and happen to have a pigmentation problem. (laughs) You couldn't end a movie like that these days, could you? (laughs) But anyway, so it's it's actually really, it's a great movie. Uh, So, now this morning God wants us to face up to our own prejudice. Uh, And I reckon it's a hard thing because prejudice is always easier to see in someone else than it is in yourself. So I'm actually going to call on you to help towards the end. Uh, Think about how these things apply into our lives today. So will you help me towards the end? You know, so think about that. Um, But here's, up up front I want to say this. We want to honour God. So we want to honour God, yes? Yeah. We want to be a healthy, loving church community. 
Yes, absolutely. Uh, we want to effectively reach our community with the gospel of Jesus? Yes, yeah, we do. Uh, then we must recognise and deal with prejudice in our lives because that will hinder each one of those three things. Uh, so that's, let me pray that God does that work in our hearts and our lives uh, even this morning. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, we want to thank you so much that your word, week by week, day by day, it, uh, it cuts through to the heart uh, and it does a work in us that sometimes hurts, but that we need because your word exposes our sin, our prejudice, our apathy. Uh, your word also brings comfort as we hear the good news of forgiveness and healing and hope and, uh, and cleansing through the Lord Jesus. And we pray that you will do your mighty work in us even this morning by your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I want to take you back to the programmatic statement of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1 verse 8, which is this. Uh, Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And that's what we've been seeing happen throughout the book of Acts. So it begins in Jerusalem. Uh, so next slide. So that didn't change much, but there it is. Jerusalem's highlighted. That's the epicenter of the Christian movement because that's the capital city of the Jews. That's where Jesus was crucified. That's where the apostles do their early ministry in the temple courts because early on, Christianity was just considered another sect within the Jewish religion. Uh, and it was only over those days and weeks and months that the, the Jews realized how radically new this thing Jesus was bringing was. Uh, and so then it spills out into Judea I'll show you, and Samaria and to the ends of the land. Right? Notice I've said to the ends of the land. See, the word there in Greek is the word ger, which can simply mean land. So at the end of the land, is that right? Is that, have I got the right word yet? So at the end of the land, he's our Greek scholar at the moment, right? Uh, uh, so to the ends of the land, and I reckon the Jewish Christians, maybe even the apostles themselves, were thinking, well, mission pretty well accomplished. Uh, you know, we've actually, we're actually getting there. The gospel's going out to the ends of the land. Um, uh, even Samaritans, half-caste Jews are becoming Christians. But I'm not sure how much they envisaged Gentiles becoming Christians at this point. How could a Gentile become part of the people of God? See, Gentile, the word Gentile simply means nations, Right? It's the people from the other nations. So the Jews viewed the world as two, there's two types of people. Jews that were the people of God and Gentiles who were outside of the people of God. Um, and the Samaritans were this funny half, half, halfway between group of people. Um, but how could someone outside of the people of God, a Gentile, become part of of the people of God. It was, it was a big problem uh, for them to get their heads around. So you've heard of the Berlin Wall, yes? Uh, what was the purpose of the Berlin Wall? Separating East and West in Berlin, so communism, democracy and so on. 
Uh, have you heard of this wall? Uh, this is, apparently, this is, uh, this is a cartoon picture because I don't know how far he's got with it, but this is a wall which is what? It's, oh, it's 12 foot high. It looks more impressive in the picture. Uh, uh, anyway, it's separating uh, the United States from Mexico to keep the Mexicans out. This is uh, Trump's vision. Uh, what about this wall? The Great Wall of China separating the Chinese Empire from the uh, Mongolian, uh, the raids of the Mongolians. Uh, now, between Jew and Gentile, there was a wall. Now, there was a wall literally in the temple uh, that separated Jew and Gentile, but I think it's talking about an invisible uh, wall of uh, a barrier where a Gentile cannot come into the presence of God or his people. There was a separation. Here in Acts chapter 10, God overcomes the barrier, the wall. In fact, the wall had already been broken down. What Acts chapter 10 is about is God demonstrating that the wall is now broken down. So I want to, I want to show you the passage in Ephesians chapter 2, which helps you to see that the wall's already broken down. See what it says? Jesus himself is our peace. It's in your outlines, yeah? Jesus himself is our peace who has made the two groups one, that is, he's united Jew and Gentile and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. See, the wall between Jew and Gentile had been broken down through the death and resurrection of Jesus. The Jewish Christians just hadn't realised at this point the implications of this. Uh, And it's going to take a lot to convince them that the wall is gone, and that's what Acts chapter 10 and 11 is all about. So you've got to get into that mindset to understand just how, um, how monumentous uh, what's going on in these chapters is. See, the gospel won't, it won't just go out to the ends of the land, but I, we're utterly convinced, aren't we, that Jesus had in mind not just the ends of the land of Israel, but the ends of the earth. Uh, and that's the, that'll be the program of the book of Acts. All right, so... God demonstrates that the, bro- the wall between Jew and Gentile is broken down. There's five sort of steps. And the first step is God appears to Cornelius in a vision. Now, Cornelius, uh, we read about him. He believes in God. He fears God. He obeys God. He's got a lot going for him. He gives money away inspired by God. That's pretty impressive. He obviously really believed in God. Um, and he, he seems to have everything going for him except he's not Jewish. He's Italian. But the Italian character of the man is not the key. It's that he's a Gentile. And in the Jewish mindset, that put him outside of the kingdom of God. So God sends an angel in a vision. There he is there. Uh, and the angel instructs Cornelius to send for Peter the apostle. So there is step one. The uh, angel appears, God appears to Cornelius in a vision by the angel. The next day, while Cornelius, there's a little delegation sent from Cornelius, a number of days journey, 
While they're on their way, Peter himself has a vision. So this is step two. God speaks to Peter in a vision. And this is one weird vision. Peter sees a huge sheet being lowered down from heaven and on it are all kinds of animals. Now that looks like the ark, doesn't it, in the picture on the screen. Um, but the, the idea of these animals is that they are, most of them were, un, if not perhaps all of them, were unclean animals. Uh, and that is Leviticus 11 spells out. So in the Old Testament law, it spells out a whole range of animals that were unclean, that is spiritually contaminated for the people of Israel. They must avoid those and only eat certain foods that God had authorised. Um, and so eating or coming into contact with an unclean animal made a person unclean before God. Um, so makes sense? Uh, and I think a lot of those animals are unclean animals. So apparently a horse is, a donkey, a snake, reptiles like the crocodile... <clears throat> Camel, ostrich. Um, ostrich, I looked up. Uh, yeah, no, ostrich was. I think the peacock seemed to me it was debated over uh, on Jewish websites. They, they're not sure what to make of the peacock, whether it's clean or unclean. Uh, dog. Giraffe is another debated one, as far as I could see, in modern Jewish debates. But anyway, because I can't see giraffe mentioned in the Jewish food laws. But um, there we go. So this is the, this is the vision he sees. See, I do research for these sermons, right? Um, God says to him, verse 13, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Uh, this is not a vegetarian sort of uh, passage, is it? Get up, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, surely not. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. Now, Peter had been hungry up to this point, but I imagine at this point, his, his hunger has gone away. He would be feeling sick to the stomach. How could he eat food that was ceremonially unclean? Like this is, this is a massive conscience issue for him, isn't it? Because you, you grow up seeing that this is part of my devotion to God is these foods that I must abstain from. How can God possibly call on me to eat those foods? And so the voice says it a second time, verse 15. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And this whole thing happens not once, not twice, but three times. God is saying something persistently important. Now, this whole idea is not new to Peter. He should have been thinking back to his days with Jesus. So remember when... when um, Jesus was with his disciples and the Pharisees pick up on them over food wa hand-washing rituals. And Jesus said, it's not what goes into a man which makes him unclean, but it's what comes out of him. And so Jesus was declaring all foods clean. He's saying what makes someone unclean is the sexual immorality, the greed, the idolatry of the heart. It's not whether they eat camel or giraffe or you know, donkey or... You get the point, right? That, that's not what makes someone's unclean, says Jesus. It's what comes from the heart. Um, so the Old Testament food laws were abolished by Jesus. Now all food is clean. And 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 4. I haven't got it uh, in your outline, so write it down. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 4. Well worth... I do have it. Oh, yeah, right. Okay, there you go. Um, everything God created is good 
and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. So I just want to make a little bit of a point here. I don't, this is not the major point this passage is making, but it's worth saying. Christians can eat meat with pleasure. Right? You can enjoy it. Uh, Christians can drink alcohol without feeling guilty. Just don't overdo it because that's stupid and dishonouring to God. You can eat chocolate and enjoy it. Right? Uh, it's not a guilt food. It's a good food given by God uh, for our enjoyment. Just don't have too much. That's pretty simple. Uh, it's not easy to do in practice because it's so good. Um, there is not even anything spiritually wrong about smoking tobacco. Right? Uh, and I know that's like, whoa, what's he saying here? But it is an incredibly unhealthy practice. So out of my love for you, I want to help you not be smoking tobacco. But it, there's nothing spiritually contaminating about smoking. Uh, it's not a spiritual issue, it's a health issue. And I hope that distinction makes sense. Now, the point is, clean and unclean, now with the coming of Jesus, there's a new era. Clean and unclean is an issue of the heart, not the food or drink you eat, right? It's not the food you eat. Now, so if you want to be a non-smoking, teetotaling vegetarian... Good for you. That's fine, right? And that's your decision. And you probably live longer and all that sort of stuff. But please recognize it's not a spiritual issue. Uh, it's a health issue. Uh, and you must not judge your Christian brothers or sisters over the food they choose uh, to eat uh, or not to eat. Now, there's a little bit of a you know, background thing. So I hope that makes sense. But Acts chapter 10, there are much bigger issues at stake than clean and unclean food. And I hope you pick that up. The little video we saw earlier picked up on that, hey? Um, Peter has this vision. And then what happens next? Point three, I've said God times it all to perfection. Um, so verse 19, while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon... Three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. So you can see God's drawing this all together. A number of days earlier, Cornelius had had the vision. He sent his delegation off. They've arrived at Joppa, where Peter is. Peter goes up to pray. As he comes out of this prayer and he's still it's doing his head in, what does that mean? These men from Cornelius arrive at the front door. And I think Peter, start, it's starting to dawn on him, uh, God's setting all of this up. Um, step by step, God is persuading Peter that Gentiles can be part of God's people. So, guess who's coming to dinner? Well, Peter says, come on in uh, and have a meal with us. And you can see the barriers even already are starting to break, break down. Next day, Peter goes to Cornelius and enters his house, and I take it has a meal in his house. Cornelius has gathered all his family and friends together. So verse 28, Peter said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me. And so Cornelius then tells Peter about his own vision. 
Uh, and you can see Peter has learned God's lesson. Verse 34, really key verse. I now realise how true it is that God does not show favouritism but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. God is not merely a pro-Jewish God. God is a God who loves all people from every nation. Uh, So this is a bigger lesson, isn't it, than what food you can eat. It's about who can enter God's kingdom. And the answer is, who can enter God's kingdom? Everyone, anyone. No matter what race, Jew, Gentile, black, white, young, old, male, female, those things don't make a difference in terms of our access into the people of God. Hallelujah. Because you guys wouldn't be here, right? Any Jews here? It's great that you're here if, you, if there are. No Jewish... Silberman, Silberman, is that a bit of a Jewish sort of... Half, half Jewish, right? Okay. And Linda Nash, okay. A little bit of Jewish. Right? So great to have, you know, some Jewish... You know, and it's great. So it's always the case amongst, you know, Christian people... Uh, there's a remnant of the Jewish nation, but it's only because of Jesus that the opportunity has spilled out to all of the rest of you to be part of the people of God. Don't take that for granted. Um, so, Peter preaches the same gospel he preached on the day of Pentecost. What does he preach about Jesus? Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and he concludes in verse 42. He says, Jesus commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Everyone who believes in him. He, he's, it's dawning on Peter, the global, the, the international implications of the gospel. Cornelius was a good God-fearing man, but he still needed to become a Christian. He still needed to know about Jesus and the forgiveness of sins because everyone needs to know about Jesus and the forgiveness of sins. Right? Uh, it's not enough to say, oh, I live a good life. Right? Cornelius lived a good life, but he needed to know the gospel of Jesus and receive forgiveness of sins and to receive the Holy Spirit. This was the message Cornelius had been waiting for and he's welcomed into God's kingdom And point four, God confirms it all with the Holy Spirit. So verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. See, this is confirmation from God. It's like God saying, just as the day of Pentecost so also now with the Gentiles. Uh, Gentiles are welcome into the kingdom of God. So Peter says, verse 47, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptised with water. They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have, so he ordered they be baptised in the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, And that's because baptism is an outward sign of Holy Spirit inward renewal. So baptism of the Holy Spirit is the primary thing and baptism in water is like an outward public expression of what God has done in the heart. And Peter says, well, if God's baptised them with the Holy Spirit, who are we to stand in the way of publicly recognising that 
by baptising them in water. Now, it's a great story, isn't it? Like, it doesn't just thrill your heart to see what God does. But the story's not over yet. So look at uh, point five. God uses Peter to persuade the Jewish Christians. Because you've got to remember, there's a whole bunch of Jewish Christians back in Jerusalem, and they're very sus about what's going on. You know, what's happened to Peter? He's gone off the rails. Uh, Verse Chapter 11, verse 1, The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him. Right? So we're all joyful about what's happened, but they're going, you, you rotten thing. You, they're criticizing Peter. They said, you went into the home of uncircumcised men and ate with them. What were you thinking? Uh, and so it's one thing for Peter to be convinced Now we need to convince the Jerusalem church. And so Peter retells the whole story. Uh, He retells the vision he had, the vision Cornelius had, how it all works out, the way they received the Holy Spirit. Verse 17, let me cut to the chase, the conclusion. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ on the day of Pentecost, Who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? And when they heard this, they had no further objections and they praised God saying, So then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Uh, So here is a critical episode in the spread of the gospel. The gospel going to the Gentiles. The Gentiles can become part of God's people. And I, I think a really key thing is, They can become part of God's people without becoming Jewish. So they don't need to sort of conform to the Jewish food laws. They don't need to be circumcised. They don't need to do any of those things that the law had obligated Jews to do in the past. They merely turn back to God in repentance and receive forgiveness and cleansing through the Lord Jesus. And they are embraced into the people of God. So here is sort of, as we sort of draw to a conclusion, I want to, my question for you is, what's on your sheet, right? So here is the sheet that God lowered down for Peter and all the animals represented clean and unclean people and what people um, are acceptable to be part of the people of God. Uh, And God was teaching Peter that a new era had begun that the barrier that had existed between Jew and Gentile has now been broken down. Gentiles can become part of the kingdom simply by turning to God in repentance and receiving forgiveness. So, what I want you to think about is what barriers do we put in the way? What are some of the, the, the things that God needs to expose to us? Now, I want to give you a couple of examples and then get you to talk about it. Uh, with the person next to you, if that's okay. So <clears throat> here's one of the barriers we, you know, we can put in the way. And that, what, what are they? They're flags from uh, different nations. They're flags from different nations or people groups that are represented here in our church, uh, which is lovely. Uh, so I just am delighted that we have a multinational aspect to our church. I think that that even goes beyond the kind of general multinational sense of the central coast right so the chinese we've got you know maori aussie malaysian and so on south african so 
we had a cheer. <laughs> All right. And were there any other flags I should have put up there? Did I miss any of you? Philippines. I've got Philippines up there. Come on, Deb. Union Jack. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's sort of there on the Australian flag. So I thought, <laughs> covered off. <laughs> Sorry, that probably doesn't work. Okay. Anyway. Yep. So if you feel ripped off or left out, I'm, I, that wasn't intentional. Um, so. Where were we going? All right, okay. So here we go. Um, we, we must not, we are the people of God who have been drawn through the work of Jesus. Uh, we must not discriminate against one another over race or language or culture or anything like that. That's what our world does. So our world continues to hive off into cultural racial groups and exclude and put up barriers. But as a Christian community, Jesus has broken down those barriers, so we must not put them back in place. Right, so let's show love across racial barriers. Let's make that a defining aspect of our church. Now, I'm, the next one I'm going to put, let, let me show you this one. You look at that one and you go, oh, that's silly, right, silly. But it's not silly. I'm actually going to make a point here. So what is this? This is sporting jerseys, right? Um, and I think sporting jerseys speak to a deeper divide within Australia than you might imagine. So, and what, what triggered me to this is a few years ago, a rugby league player switched codes to rugby union. And I was reading the article and then the comments below, listen to the comments. A league fan said this, for all you union supporters, you are truly a bunch of private school morons. Union is a game for the blue bloods, the toffs, the well-heeled big end of town. It's not a game of the people. Um, then a union fan said back, the reason most of the league crossovers fail is that they don't have the brains to adapt to the shift in culture. Pouring concrete, not running companies. Okay. So now, so do you see... Do you see a divide that we're speaking into there? So what's the divide? Economic. Socioeconomic. So it's rich, poor. It's working class. It's middle, upper class. It's even public school system, private school system. You are a bunch of private school morons. Uh, and so, and what, what we see is that there are these divisions within Australian society that put up barriers between us over schooling or socioeconomic stuff or and they that must not carry over into our church life we need to get beyond that because jesus has broken down the important barriers we mustn't put trivial barriers up here's another one a sheet full of bullet holes and you go man this is terrorist activity no uh, this is just my way of representing that sometimes we do and say things that hurt one another um, real hurts, or sometimes it's just imagined hurts, but either way, there are hurts and griefs that come along in our lives together. If we hold on to those hurts, we will put up barriers between one another, and those barriers will become entrenched and feel overwhelming over time. The Christian community ought to be better than that. The Christian community we have the resources of repentance. 
where we can actually acknowledge what we've done to hurt one another. We, we can repay, re repair, and we can forgive. And that is all the things that has happened between us and God. And that is what we need to do with each other. Not become a community where we are uh, defined by the hurts and the history that we have with one another, but we're actually able to move beyond those things in repentance and forgiveness. Uh, guess who's coming to lunch next week? What a great opportunity to do that. Because, you know, you might be thrown in with someone that you go, oh man, I didn't really want to go to lunch with them, but here God is... Uh, anyway, so guess who's coming to lunch? L great, great opportunity to sort of express that sense of... There you go, Colin's going to point us to it later on. There you go. Um, all right, now was there any other barriers that you wanted to point out? Any other things? That, yeah, Betty. Same-sex marriage. Same um, all right, so I'm glad I didn't put that on a sheet, you know. <laughs> um, but, but you're talking about the sort of the, the topic, yeah? Let me talk about it in a broader sense of, of um, sexual immorality. Um, so, but same-sex marriage is a particular part of it, and that is we... Thanks, Betty, for throwing this one at me, by the way. <laughs> My goodness. All right. So what do we do with this? Because this is complex. So what I want you to notice with Cornelius is Cornelius uh, was coming as a repentant sinner to receive the forgiveness from God. Now, if you want to just see that, have a look at chapter 11, verse 18. It's very important because our world doesn't get this. Chapter 11, verse 18. So then, even to Gentiles, God has repented so God has granted repentance that leads to life. Um, the sort of acceptance that we're talking about here today is repentant sinners receiving acceptance from God. The person who says, I'm in sin, which might be sexual immorality, it might be greed, it might be whatever. The person who says, I'm, I'm in sin and God should accept me exactly for who I am without me doing anything doesn't get that they need to humble themselves before God and acknowledge their sin and repent. Right? And then they will receive forgiveness from God. Um, so God says, come as you are, but come as you are and acknowledge your sin before me. And I just don't, I, I, I think that's how I'd, I'd have to nuance your comment, Betty. And that is, absolutely, there will be people in our world who have been broken by same-sex marriage, uh, by sexual immorality, by a whole range of stuff that has been going on in our world. And we need to be a community that embraces broken people, brings them to the word of God and shows them that there is forgiveness as they turn to God in repentance and faith. Yeah, and so we should be a community of redeemed sinners. Yeah, good call. In fact, yeah, Ian, and then... I've, uh, oh, Oh, okay. You're both going to follow that, are you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. Uh, yeah. God does not accept a person who doesn't repent. Yeah. We Christians accept non repentant, homosexual, or whatever. Should we, in our personal relationships, yeah. accept okay. people that still haven't repented? 
Okay, so Ian's, Ian's asking, so God, God accepts sinners who repent, uh, you know, and so you get the Luke 15, I just want to reinforce it, uh, you know, the lost sheep and so on. Uh, there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 who do not need to repent. So it's, it's the repentant sinner that God embraces and loves. Now, Ian's asked the question, well, how should that impact our attitude out there in society, we should love all people indiscriminately is the answer. Uh, and one of the really helpful passages in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where it says, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Uh, God will judge those outside the church. But inside the church, we need to call one another to account before the word of God. But we're not to exclude association with sinners because you'd have to leave the planet and Paul makes that point in 1 Corinthians 6 so I hope that sort of makes sense Claire I oh, so sorry when I say Claire I just well, I feel like we've got a big snowball coming here yeah Claire my dear sister <laughs> yeah in the case of repentance for same-sex couple what does that look like yeah so so, so it's actually, step one is humbling myself before the word of God and saying, uh, I'm actually willing to come and hear the words of my creator in what he, what he thinks is best for my life. Uh, so, and, so and a step beyond that would be then sexual abstinence. Um, and then, then we work out the steps beyond that in relationship over time. Yeah, I don't know yet. Uh, uh, and so, because so, I, I see no... See, see, cohabitation of two people of the same sex has been happening for centuries in very warm, loving relationships. They just haven't been called marriage and they haven't had the sexual connotations. So I think that we've made that a harder category in our society and we should encourage that. So any, anyway, so, but there's a whole range of ongoing pastoral conversations that are involved in that but i've sort of pointed in in that direction then wayne and lois yeah what were you okay rugby union yeah rugby union yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, thank you for breaking the ice there. Yeah. Lois and then, and, and uh, yep. I think that um, we create barriers by language we use. Yep. So we refer to people as the Aboriginals, the Chinese, yep. the South Africans, yep. the refugees. But in actual fact, um, you can see an Asian person and they, they might be a, we have Chinese people living in a small country yep. town who are eighth generation Australians. Yeah. So we call them the Chinese. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So we must not. Yeah. We need to watch our language that it doesn't dehumanise people. So I know, and I've talked to you, Alan, about boat people as if it's a different category of person. So we need to love people as people first, and uh, other differences, you know, as a, much a secondary thing. Lola, I think. Oh, someone here. Oh, yeah, brother. Yeah, Peter. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So I'm just going to deal with the first um, thing. So politics. Um, yeah. So we can look. We can have opinions about political stuff, but we just must not marginalise one another over political leanings. Or you know, we are not a polit- we, we are not a liberal or a Labor Party church. We're a Christian church and i expect that we'd have you know a range of voters here and we might have differences and we can debate those and all that sort of stuff that's healthy now tegan different denominations yeah well there you go yeah okay look um i I think i've sort of now so to neil i got the wrong name yeah penny It probably is, yeah. <laughs> Have you got one, Darren? Can you? More than what's in your sheet. Yeah, yeah. So Penny's question is: ha- Yo, there, yeah. Have you? Is there a question that can actually help us to diagnose prejudice in our hearts? And uh, so Darren's saying, "What's in your sheet?" and Alan's saying, who wouldn't you invite to lunch? There, that's a good start. Yeah, so let's, let's go with that. Oh, and Tim, uh, is yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually exploring our emotional responses to things, yeah. Um, just let me um, share with you. So that's been really great. Like, I didn't expect it to sort of... Um, <laughs> Naive faster, hey? Um, so, um, I, I had a great discussion with my growth group and um, I asked them the question, you know, what's on your sheet or whatever? And, uh, and look at this answer. So, one of the guys said, well, I used to be on the sheet and I just thought that was a profound insight. He said, I was unclean. No, I was outside the kingdom. Um, I was a sinner and... God made me clean. And it was very helpful, isn't it? And I think that's so important for us as Christians to recognise that's who we are. We are the unclean that have been washed and forgiven, you know, as we've turned to God and we've been completely cleansed. Um, And I want to say to you, if that's not your experience, if you don't know that you are forgiven by God then I want to make a genuine offer to you today. This is God's offer to you. No matter your race, no matter what religion you grew up in, no matter how rich or poor you are, no matter what your past history is, no matter the things you have done or the things that have been done to you, you just bring it to God. Turn to him, humble yourself before him and receive his, ask him for his forgiveness and his cleansing and he will bring it to you. And he will pour out his Holy Spirit in your heart to transform you into the likeness of his son. So um, I might, um, I had a few more things to say, but I might just finish it up uh, right there. I'm going to lead us in prayer. Let's pray. (coughs) Oh God, our Father, we want to thank you so much just for this discussion that we've had of hearing your word, hearing the beautiful implications of the gospel, that all the barriers that we put up 
um, that separate people from people, that you have broken down the most profound and important ones through the Lord Jesus. We thank you that that barrier of sin now means being broken down now means we can have intimate relationship with you, complete confidence to come before your throne. We thank you that it breaks down religious barriers between us. Uh, we pray that you'll help us to press on and break down those other barriers that we either intentionally or unintentionally set up. We pray that we will be a genuine community of love. But we also pray that we will have uh, an attitude to our community, the community you've placed us in, where we do not exclude people, where we do not, we're not quick to judge people, but we seek to show love to all people from all backgrounds, that we take initiative to love. Uh, and we pray that in this way you will make us a light in this dark society and that you'll keep on bringing many, many, many people into your kingdom. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.